Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. Any of you ever had your mother look at you and ask you the question, did you take a cookie from the, the cookie jar? Uh, there is no doubt if you look at me, I would have been guilty of that question. My mother has looked at me and said, Ray, did you, did you get a cookie out of the cookie jar? And then at that moment, you have a decision. Kids, every one of you should at that moment be completely honest with your parents and tell them yes or no, I did take a cookie out of the cookie jar. Uh, but, I, but I remember looking at my mom with crumbs around my face going, who, who me? Uh, upon which she turned and went to the cookie jar. She took the lid off and she began to count one, two. At that moment, I knew I was guilty because my mother knew exactly how many cookies should be in that cookie jar. And uh, it, it, it's at that moment where I'm, I'm now ready to confess, right? Uh, okay, mom, I ate one and there is one missing. Uh, the, the number you expected to have is, is not going to be there. That's, that's kind of what Second Peter chapter number one is for the Christian. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, the Bible says in Second Peter number one, add to your faith. And, and we talked about that last week. There are seven items that God demands that we add once we get saved to our faith. But then there's an equal sign and there um, is um, uh, a certain amount of cookies that should be in the cookie jar, right? If, if, if everything is added correctly. Okay. So here's what I'd like for us to do in simplicity this morning. I'd like for us to uh, go back briefly and, um, uh, uh, just reiterate one more time the seven items that we talked about last week that, that God demands that we add to our faith. And then I want us to look down inside the cookie jar and see if those items are, are in our lives. And if they're not, we're going to go back and find out uh, which ones are missing. And, and that, is, that is the simplicity of this wonderful Bible truth. So by the time we get done today, I'm going to ask, are you getting these three results in your life? And if your answer is no, then we're simply going to go back and see what's missing in the equation. Is that fair enough? It should be simple enough for everybody in the room to be able to come to the realization that my spiritual life is what the Bible says it should be. And if it's not, I know where to go to fix it. I'm not a math guy. Um, but I do understand that if you have two apples and you add two more apples to it, the result should be how much, church? Four apples, okay? And so the, the way the passage is laid out before us is this. If we have these seven things in our lives, it should equal this. Fair enough? That's easy, right? And so if this is messed up, then we go over here and find out 
what's missing. So, so look at the text with me again together, if you would. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter number 1, and, and, and we're going to walk through uh, what the Bible says. Now, um, class, if, if I could say it that way, since we're kind of dealing with some equations this morning. Class, let me ask this question. All of this hinges on one important factor that we discussed last week. And the Bible says this factor is crucial to adding to your faith. Can somebody from the class this morning remind me of what that factor is? With all diligence. With all diligence, add to your faith. Here we go. Virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Now, leave those up there if you would. I'm going to walk through each of these uh, quickly for you uh, this morning, just to recap from last Sunday. All right? So once I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I have received the exceeding precious promises, last week we asked you the question, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and you're sure you're a believer, um, would you raise your hand. And many of you raised your hand and you said, hey, pastor, I know for sure that I'm a believer. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I put my faith in Jesus Christ alone, the death, burial, and resurrection. And he is now the Lord of my life. All right. Once that is settled and you are a believer in Christ, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, you are to add to your faith virtue. The word virtue means I have chosen to do right. The word virtue means moral excellence. Now that Jesus Christ has died for every one of my sins and paid the penalty on the cross, I choose to do right from this moment forward. My baseball hero was Mark McGuire. And that was, of course, before they found out that he was doping. I have all the Mark McGuire rookie cards you could imagine. I've got his, um, his, uh, his Olympic card. I, I was a huge Mark McGuire fan. I remember the pizza restaurant I was sitting in when Mark McGuire got up to bat to tie the all-time home run record. He was a right-handed hitter. He got up to the plate. The pitch was given. He swung. The bat cracked. The ball began to ascend and Everybody knew it. The cameras were flashing all around the stadium. The ball goes over the fence, and while it's en route, Mark McGuire is making his way to first base, and he steps over first base, and then he takes another step, and it clicks in his head what he has done. Mark McGuire, in all of his glory, had to stop and turn around, go back and tag first base in order to, for the run to count. The ball was already over the fence, but he still had to follow the rules and take the right steps. Listen, church, I believe this. There's a lot of us here today that are saved. We have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but we have stepped over first base. And with Knowing Jesus Christ is your Savior, there has to be a mental change in our mind that says, hey, Lord, because of what you've done from this day forward, I want to do what's right. It's not a game to me. It's not religion. It's because of who you are and what you've done upon the cross that I want to give my life back to you. I want to do what is right. 
Our churches are full of people who are saved, but are still holding on to everything we are. And, and which makes me, a part of me, question salvation itself. Because the Bible says when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we make him Lord. He becomes supreme in our life. He's the one in charge. And so God, now that I'm saved, all I want to do from this day forward is I want to do right. But here's the problem. We don't know what is right. Up until this point, we've always done what we've wanted to do. All right, so let's add then. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Lord, I need the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I need to feed upon the word of God. I need to read the word of God. I need to study the word of God. I need to know the word of God. Memorize the word of God. I need to know what you think. The Bible is for doctrine. That's right thinking. For reproof. That's correction of wrong thinking. For correction, that's correction for wrong living. For instruction and righteousness, that is right living. I need to have this book. I got to have it. So add to my faith, ready, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance. The word temperance is self-control. Now that God has revealed himself to me, I'm going to exhibit self-control. I'm going to bring myself under subjection. I'm going to say no to me and yes to God. I'm going to say no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness. I'm going to say no to the world and their thinking and yes to his thinking. That is temperance. To be honest with you, if I were going to be in an immoral relationship, if I chose to do that, would there be enjoyment? Yeah. Would I find pleasure? Yes. Would there be maybe some excitement to that immoral relationship? Absolutely. So what do I have to do? I have to bring my body and my mind under subjection. I have to, can I say this word, suppress what I would want to exhibit, temp, to exhibit temperance to my desires and follow the mind of Christ. Now, can I ask a question? Just in saying that goes against every worldly thought and teaching, does it not? How many of you felt that when I said, Reading, when I said that statement, I have to suppress me? It, it goes against the grain, literally, of American philosophy. Don't suppress you. You do you. You be what you're supposed to be. And that's the problem. It, th th that's not biblical thinking. Biblical thinking is suppress me to be what he wants me to be. Now watch. If a person was going to choose to live in a homosexual lifestyle, would there be excitement in that for them? Sure. Could they even claim companionship? 
Absolutely. Could they, could they claim that there's a bond of friendship that is, that is strong and powerful? Yes. Could they even say there's some love involved in it? Absolutely. We're not debating that. But if I'm bringing my life under the subjection of God, if I am adding to my faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge expands on what God says marriage is and how he's designed it, then at the temperance point, I bring myself under subjection so that Christ can reign supreme in my life. Doesn't that make sense? You know, sometimes we love to wallow in our, in our bitterness. We're just human enough, ready to enjoy. Woe is me. Life is so hard. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go eat green worms and die. There is an element of enjoyment to that. I can't believe what she said about me. Can you believe what she said about me? Right? There's an element of... It makes you feel good. No, the Bible says suppress that. Bring that under subjection. The Apostle Paul says, lest by any means I be a castaway. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I buffet my bodies, not buffet. Okay, we're clear on that, right? He said, I bring, I beat my body, not physically, but I bring my body mentally under subjection so that I can please him and glorify him with my life to follow the plan that he intended for me. That's what it's all about. That's the Christian life. Ready? Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience. That is letting God work on me the way he wants to work on me so that I can fulfill um, the purpose that he has in me. One of my favorite commercials still to this day, I haven't seen it in years, but it's vividly burned in my mind. It's the commercial where the scene starts out with the blacksmith and the room is dark and there's a fire and he takes this raw piece of steel and he sticks it in the fire and he heats it up. Then he puts it on the anvil and bing, Bing. Then he puts it back in the fire. Then he puts it on the wheel and he grinds it and sparks are flying off of it. Then back in the fire and bing. And he's hitting it. And then finally at the end of the commercial, there's a Marine standing there in his blues. The few, the proud. And at that moment, that Marine takes that sword and goes, and he does something special and he brings it up by his face. And it's glittering in the light and it's two-edged and it's beautiful. That's patience. Let the Lord work. Boom. Boom. And he spins it so that it can be used for his glory and for my good. The Bible says the trying of our faith worketh patience, but let maturity work. The word patience means that it's the idea of, of coming to maturity. God wants to work in you. He loves you. You are his design and his creation. Whether you're a teenager today or a mom and dad, he loves you. And you know what, dads? He's just loving you enough to get some of that raw rebellion out of you so that you can glorify the Savior, the King of Kings. Hey, mom, he's just trying you. 
And he's working some of those things out of you as you surrender to him and let him have your life. Ready? Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience. You see how these things work in order? Isn't that cool? I got to get saved first. I got to put my life uh, in the hands of Jesus Christ and then I give it to him. You're now the Lord of my life. And then he begins to teach me because now I'm pliable, right? And then I begin to bring me under subjection so that he can rule. Makes sense, right? For how long? Only he knows when all the dross is out of the gold and how much it needs on the wheel to make me what? Add to your faith godliness to where I begin to think like him and do as he did and love him. Church, isn't this real? Add to your faith godliness. Hey, Christian, please, let's just be frank with each other this morning. Should this not be your greatest desire if you're a child of the king? Lord, make me more like you and less like me. God, I want to think like you. I want to respond like you. I want to live like you. I want to reflect you. God, make me more like you. Hey, dads in the room, would it please you to have your children say, you know, my daddy acted like Jesus. My daddy responded like Jesus. My daddy knew how to balance mercy and justice like Jesus. My daddy wasn't about playing games with God. He wasn't about doing church. He was about living like Christ. And my daddy was the same man on the outside of the walls as he was on the inside of the walls. He didn't put on a show when he walked through the door of the church. He was the same man in and out. My daddy reflected Jesus. His attitude toward mommy was one that Jesus would have. My daddy's attitude toward people at work was Jesus. My daddy's not perfect but he was a godly man. Could that be said? I know we're not perfect, church. This man's not perfect by any stretch. But let me ask you a question. Do you expect it out of me? How would you feel about a pastor that wasn't godly? Interested? Should I be interested in a congregation that's not? Because God doesn't hold me and you on different levels. I'm people like your people. And what I love about this text so much is at the beginning, the Bible says we can have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Every one of us. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Church, quit looking at godliness as some kind of distant thing that you can't have. You say, how do I get there, pastor? How how can I be more like Jesus? The Bible tells us, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And when godliness settles into our lives, all of a sudden we begin to add to our faith brotherly kindness. We begin to love people in an amazing way. We live in such a mean culture, do we not? 
And, and I guess it would be expected from people who don't know Jesus, but it should not be expected within the confines of the church. Brotherly kindness, loving people. Did you know that I'm going to offend you? How many of you have ever considered the fact that I may hurt your feelings someday? I hope that you do because you need to consider it might happen. It probably will happen in this service because all of you are just ugly. And it's just, I'm the only, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to offend you. So easy, right? Uh, no, seriously, brotherly kindness inside of the walls of the church, God's people should know how to love and forgive and to be kind and to make a difference in the world around them. It, it, it should just be. And then lastly, love. Add to your faith love. Know how to, and we're not talking about, you know, pastel colors and flowers and, and substance abuse. We're talking about real love. Love that only comes from Jesus Christ. Love that can only be illuminated once I know him for who he is and recognize that I was unlovable, yet he loved me. And therefore, God, because of that, I love you here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And to love him back is just amazing. Do you love him? Do you love him? How do we know we love correctly? The Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus Christ? Is he supreme in your life above all things? Do you love him? That agape, unconditional love. You want to know what love is? Are you ready? I'm going to define it for you. I'm going to illustrate it. Can I illustrate it for you? Here's love. Watch a 15-year-old girl meet a boy. And then she's going to what? What is that phrase called? She's going to fall in love. Just gives you cold chills, doesn't it? Isn't that great? 15-year-old girl, boy, she's got it figured out. She's got marriage and motherhood and how to be a wife figured out. She is in love. And she's going to marry this boy. And so mom comes to her and says, uh, he's not a good guy. And she puts her hands on her hips and said, but you just don't know him like I know him. Right? All of a sudden, you find a 15-year-old girl that falls in love and no one can tell her nothing. Her mom and dad can't tell her anything anymore. Her friends can't tell her anything anymore. The culture can't tell her anything anymore. She is so consumed with this brilliant 15-year-old young man who's got a job, who knows how to raise babies, who knows how to be a husband. He is a real man's man, and you can't tell her any different at 15. You know what? Truth be known, that's love. Although we don't like it in that scenario, although it might not be time for it at that moment, that is love. Because love means I'm so obsessed and so under the control of and so empowered by this one element that I cannot be told anything different. And the Bible says, if you love me supremely, the world can't tell you any different. Your friends can't tell you different. Your spouse can't tell you different. Your kids can't tell you different. Your employer can't tell you different. Why? Because God is number one. He's numero uno. He is at the top of the list, and he's in charge of my life. That's what makes him God. And he deserves to be at the top. And if I'm in love with him, I will be a good daddy. And if I'm in love with him, I will be a good spouse and a good pastor, and a good friend. I will be. 
But if I take one element, even my wife, and I put her above God, where I choose her over him, the Bible says she's now become an idol, a literal idol. Who do you love? Add to your faith love. You see why this requires diligence and with all diligence, add to your faith virtue and a virtue knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. Now, let's do this. Ready? Let's throw up the equal sign. For if these things be in you and abound, okay? So these seven items are now a part of your life. You have been adding these to your faith. Therefore, we should have a result to this. Isn't that correct? What is the result? Look in the Bible. There are three things I'm going to show you this morning. Number one, a fruitful life. Number two, a focused view. Number three, a faithful walk. Let's go to a fruitful life. Notice what the Bible says here in verse Number nine, verse number eight. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. All right, so number one. Faith plus virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity equals, number one, a fruitful life. What does the Bible mean by this? So, so the word of God says, if these things be in you and abound, you're not going to be barren nor unfruitful, which the opposite of that would mean your, your life is going to be producing fruit. That you're going to have fruit, spiritual fruit, hanging from your tree. Now, now let's, let's discuss fruit. Let's get an idea from the Bible what this looks like. Um, it is an understanding of God's truth and what it produces. Now, if you look at this verse right here in the Greek when it was originally written, the idea of fruit here is the idea of producing something for use. So if I have an orange tree, I want it to produce for what purpose? For consumption, to eat, to be used. Um, I, I do exterminating uh, for uh, enterprise pest control uh, during the week, and Mark and Chris are such a blessing to our church, and, and uh, I can't tell you how many of those residents have planted fruit trees and the fruit die on the vine. They're, they're there for a small portion of the year. Unfortunately, the fruit comes in when they're going back up north. And all year long, the fruit will hang on this tree. And I walk around those houses and think, man, I just wish I could harvest that fruit. If it's just for the purpose of consumption or selling it or giving it away. I mean, this is, why would you own a fruit tree? I guess shade, maybe if you're not going to consume the fruit. So, so, so this is the point. Uh, the Bible says that um, if you add to your faith those items, you'll understand Bible truth, which will in essence produce fruit. You'll understand what it is to have love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and faith and meekness against such there is no law. You'll understand and see what God means when he gives a truth and how that truth applies to your life and makes you bountiful. 
You'll know how to control your temper based upon what God has said, and that will produce fruit. You'll know how to forgive based upon what God said, and that'll produce fruit. You'll know how to show long-suffering patience with people based upon the Bible, and that will produce fruit. You'll understand it. You'll see it. It'll affect the relationships. It will affect your marriage. It will affect your children. It will affect your employment. It will affect the world around you. You'll know it. There will be fruit hanging from the tree. This did not come natural to me. I'm going to be honest with you. But the Lord, this is just a, it's just simply an illustration. He has given me such patience in restaurants with waitresses And it's just not me. I don't care how bad my meal is, how cold it is, undercooked, not well done. I don't care how bad the waitress is, what a jerk she is, or he is, waiter. I don't get mad at him. And I'm just being honest. It takes a lot. I, I start thinking about what if they've had a bad day? What if their mother just found out she has cancer? What if he just got yelled at by the last customer? And what if he is just a total jerk and doesn't care about his job? He's a sinner, and I need to love him. And most of the time, he won't get 15%. He'll get 20%. And most of the time, it'll come with, hey, is there anything that you need? I'd be glad to pray for you. You seem a little down today. Oh, it's okay. I know it's cold. I mean, it's not a big deal. Would you just take it back and warm it up and get it ready? Oh, you won't? Okay, that's fine. God bless you. Just won't eat here again. With the smile. And I'm just kidding. You know what? That, that's not natural. That, it's just not natural. It's not me. It's not Ray McCormick. It's just a process of time where God's grown me in that area me personally, from being a stinker before to being kind and showing brotherly kindness and growth on the other side of it. I, see, th- th- that's just one of a plethora of personal illustrations in our lives where God grows us through something, in something. Do you see fruit hanging from your tree or are you still the same person you've always been? Because if not, then there's something missing that you need to add to your faith. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Bible says those who find joy in God will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in a season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This weekend, we took a trip and went up to uh, Grandview Christian Camp to help them get ready for their uh, camp season. Right before you go up into the Sholo area, you've now worked your way through the Salt River Canyon. You've come up out of that. Um, Right before you make that final climb, it's a really curvy drive. There's this valley right there that's got a small river flowing through it. 
And it, it, it's unmistakable when you're around that corner, all you see is this beautiful line of green flowing along the, the side of the highway. And then the highway kind of curves up and you can still see the green as you climb down in the valley. And it's because everything that's planted by that river is flourishing in the midst of a, a hot, scorching desert. Child of God, listen, literally, literally, God illustrates it himself. That should be what a Christian looks like in a dark, dying world. It should be visual because there's fruit hanging by the tree that is planted by the rivers of water that's bringing forth in that appropriate season. And his leaves do not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Do you see fruit hanging from your tree? A fruitful life. Number two, quickly. The second thing he says is a focused view. Notice here in the text, quick. Uh, the Bible says, but he that lacketh these things, if you don't have those things, he is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling an election sure. Secondly, a focused view. The Bible says the person who adds to his faith is going to have a fruitful life. It secondly says this, the, the person who does not have these things in his life is blind and he cannot see afar off and so much so that he's forgotten even what God has done in his life. He's forgotten the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and now is at the point where he's doubting his own salvation. You would be shocked to know how many people sit in a congregation like this and go week by week not knowing for sure if they're on their way to heaven. Just for the record, your attendance is not getting you to heaven. If, if you're coming to church hoping it makes you a better person so that someday when you die, you can go to heaven, it's not making you a better person. It's just another one of your deeds on a list of many deeds to try to make you look better. Salvation is through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. It's his deeds and not our deeds. But, but here's the point. Some of us are sitting here and we remember a time where we called upon Jesus and asked him to save us. Would you think with me? I remember I was 19 years old in the balcony of an auditorium in Florida when I knelt and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to save me. Would you come into my heart and forgive me of all my sins? Do you remember that moment where you called upon the Lord and asked him? Do you remember when you said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you? I'm broken. I need my sins forgiven. I need to put my faith and trust in you. Do you remember that? Okay. Then have you ever asked this question since that day? I don't feel saved. How many of you have ever felt that way? I just don't feel saved. How could I do that if I was saved? Or how could I think that if I was saved? Or how could I be that if I was a believer? There were times in my life where I thought those things. Am I really saved? And you know what God revealed to me in my walk with him, and I'll never forget it, when I got a hold of this truth and began to add to my faith. Did you know I never doubt my salvation when I'm adding to my faith? I never wonder if he's my king, my Lord, my savior when I'm adding to my faith. 
I never forget who he is and what he's done upon cross of Calvary when I'm adding to my faith. When I'm walking with him, never. I never wonder if I'm really going to go to heaven or not, if I've been good enough or not, because my faith is totally, totally in him. And every one of us can experience that. I was in a church in Indiana. Youth pastor walked up to me. I was preaching a youth conference, and he said, hey, Pastor Ray, can I talk to you after this is all over? And I said, sure. I'll never forget it. After the meeting was completely over, we met in his office. He said, Pastor Ray, can I ask you a question? He said, do you doubt your salvation ever? And I remember looking at the young man, and I first of all said, why do you ask before I answered? And he said, because I'm doubting if I'm even saved. And here's what the first thought that came to my mind. You're the youth pastor of this church with a youth group of about literally 50 or 60 kids, and you don't even know for sure if you're going to heaven? You don't need to be teaching these kids. That was my first thought. And I responded with this. Yes, there, were a, there was a time in my life where I did doubt my salvation. I wondered if I was truly saved or not. It, you, know, you want to know why? It's because I was away from God and not walking with him. But as soon as I got a hold of 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm telling you, I've never doubted my faith again. I remember asking him, tell me about when you got saved. And he went through this story about where he trusted Jesus Christ. And when he put his faith in him and he, he gave me the scriptures and it, it was totally upon Christ. He said, but I just don't feel saved. And I said, because you're not adding to your faith. I have a great memory of Greg and Tony and Dakota, them sitting over here. I was an evangelist. We were traveling the country. My wife was expecting. She was great with child. It was, it was the first, it was uh, um, September and Wren was on the way. I had three revival meetings, but she couldn't travel. And so I boarded a plane, flew to Arizona. I did a revival in Miami Globe, uh, Arizona, and, uh, and, and was there with her. Uh, Rylan at the time was about four and a half years old. Five years old. Now, Rylan, I'm going to be honest, you may find this hard to believe, but Rylan was that easy kid when he was a baby. You know what I'm talking about? He's that firstborn, and you think you're a perfect parent because he's just easy, and, and you think you're the best parent on the earth, but you're really not. He just happens to be easy, right? And you find out on the secondborn, Reagan, that you're not a great parent, okay? Are you with me? And uh, Which is swapped now, right? And just kidding, buddy. Uh, so he, uh, uh, he was just a good kid. He didn't give us trouble. We would bring him to church at one, two. We'd set him on the front row. Rylan, don't get up. He'd sit right there. We'd get up here and do our church stuff, and he, he would just play. He was just a good kid. But now I'm away, and week one, everything was fine. At the end of week two, Robin calls me. She says, I don't know what's happened to this child. A demon has come inside of him. He won't do anything that I ask him. He, he's being rude. He's even kicking me and trying to hit me. She's like, I don't know what's happened. And I'm like, I know what's happened. It's my absence. The whole dynamic at this moment is messed up in his life. And now he is taking charge because daddy's gone. I never forget. This is a true story. I said, I'll call my dad because she was parked at home with my family. I called my dad. I said, hey, dad. I said, Rylan's giving mom a lot of trouble. Would you go over to the trailer and try to help things a little bit? He said, no. I'm like, what do you mean no? He's like, grandpas give out candies, not whoopings. I said, no, you can't do that now, dad. No way. I said, I literally told him, close your eyes and imagine it was me. He said, I can do that. Seriously. And just 
two weeks time, this kid who is obedient and polite and kind goes to chaos and rebellion all because of the absence of a relationship in, in our particular story. You, you want to know why we, we forget who he is and what he's done? And all of a sudden, we feel like we're not even saved anymore. It's because we're not adding to our faith and staying close to him. In fellowship with him. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. How is your view of God? Is it changing? Is it still focused? Are you still locked in on who he is? Number three, and lastly, a fruitful life, a focused view, and then thirdly, a faithful walk. Notice what the Bible says. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things ready, ye shall never fall. Would you say that phrase with me really loud? Ye, it starts with ye. Ready? Say it with me. Ye shall never fall. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we can live the Christian life and never fall? That's God's promise. Yes, we can. The word of God is so clear that we can walk with him and we can fellowship with him to the point that we never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly to the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The life that we live in Christ does not have to be up one minute and down the next we don't have to fall. Now, now it, it doesn't mean we're not perfect and sometimes we won't trip and mess up because we're flesh, right? All of us are. But there's a difference between tripping and falling. Don't you agree with that? If my toe catches the carpet and I trip, it's not quite as big of a deal as if I get to preaching and trip over the speaker and fall onto the floor. All of you are going to be like staring and wondering if pastor's okay. Then after that, Candy Winstead's going to laugh his head off. It'll be a story that he tells his children for the rest of their lives. Because there's a difference between tripping and falling. And, and there are times when temptation's going to come and we're going to be tempted to do wrong. But then we're going to remember how we added to our faith virtue. And God, I want to do right. And God's word reveals it. And so I exhibit self-control and I'm patient while God is working. Do you see what I'm saying? And then there are those Christian lives where church for you is just a fire escape from hell. It's just a place to attend on Sundays. But your life is full of falling into sin, into brokenness, into wrong, into unrighteousness. And you don't have to. That should bring joy this morning. We can come to church resting. We can walk with God resting in the fact that I don't have to fall. And I love what the Bible says, not just a fateful walk here, but someday when I enter heaven, would you look at the text with me? For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know exactly what this means. I don't know what that looks like. Here's what I do know. Depending on how I live here will have an effect on my entrance there. That's all it says. If I do these things, I shall never fall 
And so an entrance shall be administered or given unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are you hearing what the text says? If I add these things to my faith, my entrance there will be different than those who don't add to their faith. That is literally what the text is saying. I don't know what that looks like, but I do know this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, concerning the good steward, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou now into the joy of the Lord. That's enough for me. I'm going to be quite honest with you. Just to hear my Lord say, well done. Well done. Is enough. Church, family, watch. Can I help you? It's helping me. We're looking in the cookie jar together. Inside the cookie jar, do you see a fruitful walk? Do you see fruit from your Christian life? Are you enjoying the benefit of receiving and then implementing? Do you have a fruitful life? If not, go back and see what's missing in the equation. Okay? Inside the cookie jar, you should have a focused view. You should understand who God is and what he's done for you and that you're his child. If not, go back and look in the equation and see what's missing and add it to your faith. Thirdly, you should have a faithful walk with God. Your life should not be up on the mountaintop of belief and down in the valley of disbelief. It should not be the Christian life one moment and living in sin and wretchedness the next. If that's the case for your life, you need to go back and look and see what's missing in the equation. Add to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. It equals a fruitful life, a focused view, and a faithful walk. If you don't have this, go back here and see what's missing. If you have this, which is awesome, then Peter says next, keep it stirred up. Keep it stirred up. There's some of you sitting here this morning and, and, and you thought, Pastor, I, I'm not being arrogant, but I know all that and I've got it. I'm living it. And you're not being prideful. I don't, I don't think so. Then I love what Peter says next. He says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put these things always in remembrance, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet or important, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. This weekend, we got to clean the Grandview Inn and get it ready for move-in. The building was built. All the sheetrock is put up. All the fixtures are in. Shower's done, the sink faucets, everything's done, the doors are hung. We walked into these rooms and he said, Hey, your job this weekend is to clean all nine rooms and get it ready for move in. We want to be able to put furniture in here by the time you leave. 
The floor was this brown vinyl, beautiful wood flooring, but it was coated in a white dust from the sheetrock installation. So our job was to mop it and then clean out the mop bucket and mop it again and clean out the mop bucket. So I had the beautiful idea, why don't we get rid of the top layer first? So I went and got my leaf blower. I stood in the back corner of the room and I went, fire that leaf blower up and I hit that floor and all that dust began to spin all around the room. I began to cough. It was, I actually looked like I had hair for a moment. It was great. Dust was all over me and I realized bad idea, but I did get it stirred up. And the best thing that we can do in the church right now is to take a thought like this and get God's people stirred up to add to our faith so that we could see these things as a result in our lives. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us this morning. Lord, I pray. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about him and as you study his word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.